Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 87 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of recent compliance surveys and studies. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast uh, to help let other compliance professionals know about the podcast. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides ethics and compliance program services, including program design and implementation, assessments and audits, and integration planning for newly acquired businesses. We have extensive experience in the ethics and compliance area and are frequently retained for our reputation in providing practical and targeted solutions that advance compliance needs, promote an ethical culture, and support business operations. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, welcome everybody, and it's good to uh, catch up today. We're going to talk about recent compliance studies and surveys, which I find are really important for benchmarking purposes, but also to um, see what's going on in the profession, see what some of the research is uh, showing, the surveys are showing in terms of uh, identifying trends. With the growth of the compliance profession and the importance of compliance functions as part of a corporate governance landscape, there is, there's definitely been a significant increase in the quantity and quality of compliance studies and surveys. You know, it takes time to keep up with all the compliance information nowadays being developed and released. So let's, uh, there are three studies or three reports I want to talk about. The first one is um, LRN's 2019 Program Effectiveness Report. They put out an annual report on program effectiveness. And LRN's uh, annual report is a terrific resource for compliance practitioners, and it has lots of good insights. And basically, their research and studies have consistently shown the importance of ethical leadership and culture to overall company performance. This is obviously one of the themes that I try to uh, emphasize in, in the writing and the work that I do as well. LRN has demonstrated, for example, that values-based organizations produce better financial results than competitors with different cultures. Uh, values-based organizations maintain greater innovation stronger customer satisfaction, higher levels of employee engagement, and reduced levels of misconduct and higher reporting rates of misconduct. Further, LRN uh, has noted its research demonstrates conclusively that operationalizing ethics and compliance in every phase of business decision-making enables leaders and employees to think and act based on shared values rather than on short-term expediency or minimum legal requirements. So in this, this year's uh, program effectiveness report, LRN listed some interesting findings surrounding best practices and trends. Ethical behavior is increasingly a major factor in employee reviews and compensation, with 28% more respondents saying it mattered in performance review in uh, 2019 versus 2018, and almost three times more saying it figured prominently in bonus allocations year after year. So this is a trend that we're seeing in uh, in new program or programs that are trying to improve or enhance uh, their efforts is to make sure that ethics and ethics and compliance is a component of an employee's uh, annual review 
and of their performance. And uh, we're seeing also that uh, it is becoming increasingly a factor that is taken into account in bonus calculations or even getting access to bonuses in some cases. High-impact programs uh, also focus their training on encouraging ethical behavior, not just adhering to regulations by a wide margin over others. So in other words, training programs that focus on ethical behavior as opposed to just saying, here's what the law requires, here's what you've got to do to meet the legal requirements or don't violate this law, uh, but focusing on ethical behavior uh, has uh, definitely uh, gone hand-in-hand with companies that uh, adopt sort of values-based management styles. Um, Boards of these types of organizations were significantly more likely to hold senior leaders accountable for their behavior. Obviously, if you have a senior, uh, if there's a gap in terms of accountability between senior leaders and mid-level managers or or employees, you're going to have culture problems and morale problems. High-impact programs, LRN found, were three times more likely to have codes of conduct that emphasize achieving business goals consistent with organizational values. In other words, not sole adherence to or sole adoption of business goals as defining the organization's goals, but that there are organizational values that are also have to be taken into account as well. Um, High-performing programs uh, were also almost two times more likely to base their policies on a risk assessment, and hopefully that's true for all of us. Uh, High-impact programs uh, used uh, at a greater rate data analytics uh, as part of their program monitoring functions, risk assessment uh, aspects, and other uh, aspects of their ethics and compliance program. And what I consider also a last finding I wanted to mention was, and this is very important to me, is that the number of respondents using cultural diagnostics, and that's measuring your, your culture, monitoring your culture, remediating your culture, and, and basically taking care of your culture, it nearly doubled uh, from 2018 to 2019. Those are all good trends, uh, things that uh, I'm encouraged to see in terms of Uh, the behaviors. Okay, let's go to another uh, uh, report. This came from Ethisphere, and Ethisphere uh, put out uh, leading practices and trends from 2019's uh, world's most ethical companies. If you're, uh, Ethisphere puts out a list each year of uh, world's most ethical companies, the companies that satisfy that or are given that award uh, designation by Ethisphere. And, um, and then what Ethisphere does is they also survey these companies and then try to identify some best practices from these companies. So Ethisphere starts with designating companies as an ethical company under its self-designed standards. Then they survey those recipients, like I said, to identify important trends and best practices. As an initial matter, Ethisphere uh, compares the stock performance of its world's most ethical companies, WEMCs, and compares it to the market average. Since 2006, when Ethisphere began this process, the WMEC companies, the ethical companies, outperformed the U.S. large cap index by more than 10% over the last three years, 
and by almost 15% over the last five years. Aside from this calculation of the ethics, they call it the uh, ethosphere calls it the ethics premium. Um, its report identified the following best practices in the areas of transparency, of reporting, governance, and written standards. So let me just briefly review some of the key findings. With regard to detection and monitoring with transparencies, uh, employee survey data from these companies, the ethical companies, commonly revealed mixed perceptions of accountability. That is, whether the company will fully investigate reported concerns and whether the rules are consistently enforced. Uh, ethical companies demonstrated an increase in disclosure of information about the number, types, and outcomes of investigations. And this is a current trend that we're seeing in best practices where their reporting is an annual report is released on here are all the complaints we had, here are all the investigations we conducted, here were the results of those investigations, uh, 28 people were terminated over the last year, uh, and these types of uh, reports are being found to be very uh, positive in terms of building a speak-up culture and encouraging people by, to report uh, concerns and to report misconduct because you're demonstrating that your program, once you receive a report, will, will respond and will respond appropriately. A large percentage of ethical companies, 84%, uh, have uh, executive uh, sessions, closed-door sessions between ethics and compliance program owners and members of the board's uh, board of directors. Uh, and that makes sense to me. You, and, and nearly half hold such a session each quarter. I think a best practice is to definitely have quarterly um, executive sessions, reporting and executive sessions by the chief compliance officer to the audit committee. Almost every responding ethical company, 91%, noted that they communicate real-life events that occurred in their respective companies as examples of ethical and misconduct issues that occur in the real world. That's a terrific uh, best practice in my, in, in my view as well. On the issue of diversity, uh, and this was interesting, among the 2019 ethical companies, women hold over a quarter, 28.1%, of the director positions as opposed to 25% for Fortune 500 companies and 15% found in a recent uh, Deloitte study of women in the boardroom. Ethical companies have a larger percentage of women in company leadership, 25%, in contrast to the number of CEO positions held by women, which is approximately 5%, and 16.5% of non-CEO executive roles in the Standard & Poor's 500. So ethical companies have more, a larger uh, percentage of women in com company leadership positions. Finally, with regard to written standards, uh, codes of conduct and, and uh, such issues, a review of the uh, ethical codes of conduct revealed that the codes have moved from magazine-style presentations to digital media, including interactive learning aids and interactive navigation, Codes are now often reduced in size and more streamlined in presentation. And that makes total sense uh, as well. So that was the Ethisphere um, Ethical Company uh, report. 
And the last uh, report I wanted to review uh, was Navex Global's 2019 hotline benchmark report. And this, to me, is a very valuable uh, report because, obviously, Navex Global is the largest hotline provider, and they have access to a lot of data. Uh, and it's an excellent annual report to help companies understand how well their hotline and incident management systems are operating. The survey that's done is based on over 1 million reports from uh, 2,738 customers. And the Navex report also is based on all types of reporting avenues, including hotlines, but also web-based systems. Um, interestingly, Navex noted that overall reporting rates remained consistent in 2018 with the 2016 and 2017 levels. Given the increased focus on reporting and the increased concerns surrounding sexual harassment and misconduct, uh, I actually expect the reporting rates to increase in this year's report, and I'm a little bit perplexed as to why it's remained kind of flat. <coughs> Excuse me. To increase reporting levels, companies should consider a variety of strategies, including new communications and messaging programs to underscore the importance of reporting concerns, also to minimize the role that fear of retaliation may create in reduce, reducing reporting rates, companies should reemphasize their policy and their commitment to prevent any form of retaliation against employees who report any concerns. Um, the NAVEX report also underscored the benefits of expanding an incident reporting system to include sources of concerns beyond hotline and web-based reporting. In other words, merge your data with uh, walk-ins, HR issues, uh, observed conduct, uh, all of this. Uh, people are spending more time on building incident management systems to get, gather as much data and collect it as much as possible. So companies that include other sources uh, achieve 64% more reports than organizations that limit reporting to hotlines and web-based reporting. In other words, if the company, if the employees see that you're tracking all of these issues, that this is important to you, then uh, reporting rates may increase. So reports from these other sources, by the way, beyond just hotlines and web-based, uh, were substantiated at a much higher rate, 59%, than hotlines and web-based systems. Navex noted that reporting uh, surrounding harassment and discrimination increased. Over the last three years, employee reporting of such concerns has increased, and it is expected that the next year will also see an increase. Uh, as noted by Navex, between 2016 and 28, reports of harassment increased by 18%. And between 2017 and 2018, reports of harassment increased by 8.5%. Obviously, this trend reflects the rise of the Me Too movement and greater sensitivity and awareness of these issues. Uh, Navex also observed that the rates of follow-up communications by anonymous reporters uh, fell significantly from 32 to 20%. Uh, this trend reflects a curious drop in commitment by an anonymous reporter to continue communications after the initial report. Only 10% of follow-up communications also involved additional information relating to the complaint, additional witnesses, further explanation of the allegation, that type of thing. Um, Navex's report also found that the average time to close 
a uh, for case closure fell to a median of 40 days, which was an improvement over last year's report. Uh, I, this is definitely a positive de- development, but still represents uh, an opportunity for uh, even more improvement. Um, this figure of 40 days includes routine human resource matters, some that don't require that any investigation or some that don't require uh, a very significant investigation. Ideally, for routine matters, a 30-day time period for case closures should still be a target. Um, The subject matter of employee reports uh, is divided into five categories in the NAVX system. Uh, Accounting, auditing, and financial reporting is one. Two is business integrity. Three, HR diversity and workplace respect. Four, environmental health and safety issues and five, misuse, uh, misappropriation of corporate assets. Um, Over the last nine years, Navix Global found that the percentage distribution of complaints among the five categories has been roughly the same, with the vast majority, as you would expect, approximately 70%. Actually, I think it's usually 80, but 70% of all reports falling into the HR diversity and workplace respect category. Okay, well, that's uh, just a brief review of three reports that you may want to take a look at, and uh, we appreciate your uh, listening. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.vocoslaw.com, our award-winning blog, Production Crime and Compliance, and our podcast you can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkoffmail.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goal.